Well, thank you very much for um, coming along today. I'm really um, encouraged, actually, that so many people are interested in this issue because I think it's something that's, um, that's very important for uh, higher education institutions. And it's not one of those issues that typically gets much airing. So I'm very pleased we've got such a good turnout today to, to give this issue a very good going over. Um, I suppose the, the first starting point, really, is why should we care about submission and completion rates? What does it matter if a doctoral student takes five years, seven years, 20 years, or if they, they don't complete at all? Um, well... Most inti uh, at the institutional level, uh, there are a number of conversations that happen around the uh, risks that are associated with getting this wrong, um, and they're actually very real. Um, particularly, um, a number of the conversations that we've had are around the financial risks and uh, reputational risks uh, associated with uh, low completion rates and low submission rates, high rates of withdrawal from uh, doctoral degrees. Uh, most of us working in kind of grad school or um, quality assurance or administrative posts uh, would have been involved in, say, the uh, REF exercise or might be involved in uh, bids for research councils. And these all use um, doctoral completions and submissions as a metric of, uh, of the health of a, 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 a university's capacity for research. And those metrics are used for institutions to access public funds. So if we get those things wrong, if we do badly in those, it means that we're not going to get quite as big a bite of the money that's available to fund our own research. Uh, for doctoral training centres, it's particularly important because if universities fall below a certain threshold, it means that we're then barred for a, a couple of years from accessing those funds again. Uh, so that can really have a damaging impact on our capacity to grow our doctoral student population and to grow our, our capacity for research. And what doesn't get much of a mention, but I think is worth bearing in mind, are the costs of prolonged registration. Uh, when we have students who are registered beyond the allotted time, there are some hidden costs there. They draw heavily on supervisory academic time, uh, they draw on, um, on resources, on facilities, on specialist equipment. So we need to make sure that actually we're, we're able to maximise the use of those facilities in, in the right direction. And that's, that's, that's something to bear in mind. Uh, the reputational risks um, often get picked up. I mean, it's around this time now that um, Hefke will be publishing their projections of uh, each institution's uh, doctoral completions over seven and 20 years. Um, and these get picked up by the national press. They, they feature in the Times Higher, they feature in the Guardian. Uh, students get to see these. And potentially, if we get this wrong, it could result in high-caliber doctoral students being deterred from applying to our institutions. Um, a similar point is um, around international league tables. Some of those do look at doctoral completions and submissions as a measure of a university's um, capability, like the Shanghai World Rankings, for example. Um, Press is an interesting one because although um, each press is the uh, postgraduate research experience survey, which I think most people are familiar with, but uh, if not, it's kind of the, the PGR equivalent of the, uh, the National Student Survey. Um, Around PRES, uh, the individual institution's uh, results aren't um, published or made available in the public domain, uh, but there is a report that looks at the kind of national data set, um, and that found that there is um, some evidence, although not, not hugely strong, but there is some evidence there that uh, the number of students remains registered for their doctoral degree, uh, the least happy, the least content they are with their experience. So prolonged registration, having students uh, registered for too long can have damaging impacts financially and reputationally. Um, what I'm really keen um, on, and something which I think is an ethical point to this whole issue, which can sometimes be missed in the, the kind of macro-level institutional discussions around financial risks and around reputational risks, is actually the individual student. So for every, every statistic we have, every withdrawal, that's, that's a student who's invested time, invested money, invested a part of themselves into the process. 
And as institutions, we have, a, we have a responsibility to make sure that if we're taking on students for doctoral degrees, we can be confident that we can get them through in the allotted time. And I'd just like to, I think that's worth pausing on, because I would just like to ensure that we don't, we don't lose sight of the individual doctoral researchers underneath all of these, all of these statistics we talk about. Um, this is a huge frustration of mine, and I wanted to share it today. Uh, when we talk about uh, doctoral completion, submissions, withdrawal, you can often have a very co uh, confusing conversation because nobody really has any agreement about what we mean by doctoral completion and submission. How do we measure this? What, what do we mean by on-time submission? Do we, do we look at it against our own in, uh, internal regulations? Um, do we think about it in terms of headcount? Uh, do we think about it in terms of four-year submission rates that um, RCUK look at? Um, should we be thinking about the hefty projections that get picked up in the, uh, in the public domain? Um, Sorry, can I quickly check? Please do, please. Are we going to get the slides? Yes, yes, yes I believe so, yes. Yeah, so this is, um, this is a really frustrating um, point for us, and I think it, it does present a real challenge for institutions, because if we want to improve in this area, we have to come to some sort of consensus about, well, what, what is the target, what is the metric that we should be aiming for, how should we be measuring this? And um, I'm, I'm still wildly optimistic, so I hope that one day these different organisations that apply these metrics will one day come to some sort of consensus about, there's one metric, there's one way of measuring this, and that, that can be applied across the board. We'll see if that ever happens. Um, Part-timers as well, they, these are, we've got this really interesting group of um, doctoral students, but a number of these measures don't actually look at part-timers. Thinking about the head key projections, they're interested in uh, full-time students only. Um, thinking about uh, Research Council UK bids and completions, by and large, uh, Research Council money tends to go to uh, full-time students, so we don't really get many students um, on part-time stipends. Um, so we don't really have uh, there's not really much sort of national interest in measuring this very, very particular group of students. So this is something I don't have a, a, a real answer for, but it is something that's a real, um, a real frustration of mine, and it's, it does make it very difficult when, at an institutional level, you're trying to put together strategies and plans for dealing with this, this very issue. What I'd like to do now is just to go through a bit of a whistle-stop tour, really, of the literature we have inside the UK and outside of the UK about what we currently know um, around the factors that contribute to timely and successful completion, or those factors that might contribute to a student withdrawing from their doctoral degree or submitting and completing late. Um, when I was preparing for this, um, I had a look at the, the literature that's available over the last 10 years, and surprisingly, there's not a great deal uh, on the situation in the UK. Probably the most, uh, the most recent uh, publication and the one that looks at the whole data set for the United Kingdom uh, are the two reports that were produced by uh, Hefke uh, last year and the year before. And what Hefke have done is they look at uh, the student population in an academic year, they then look at the uh, student population in the following academic year, and then they apply this very complicated uh, mathematical methodology, which I'm still trying to decipher. So if anybody has an answer to that, I would be <laughs> everyone shaking their head. But if anybody knows how to apply this, I'd be very happy to hear from you. Um, and what they do is they, they then project how many uh, doctoral students are likely to complete their degree within seven years and within 20 years. And we've got two data points now, and okay, I think there's a little bit of, we can be cautiously optimistic. Things seem to be getting better. We've gone from 70.9% to 72.9% uh, for 9, 10 and 10, 11 starters. We'll find out very soon what the situation is for 11, 12 starters. So that's, that's okay. 
Um, these, these data actually compare favourably to some of our competitor nations. I mean, there are some quiet, uh, low completion rates in some areas, particularly in the United States. So that's, we, that's, that's comforting, that's reassuring. But I don't think we need to get the champagne out just yet, because I, I just think 70.9% completing in seven years, that's, I think there's still room to do more there. That means that for every four students we're taking on as a sector for a doctoral degree, one of them will not get their degree in seven years. And that's, I still find that a bit troubling. I think there's more that we need to be doing here. We need to be doing more to understand this situation, to be able to, be able to address that. Um, so what do we know in the UK about what kinds of students are likely to complete and which ones are most likely to, to withdraw from their programme? Um, there are two uh, articles I found that were quite useful for looking at this. Uh, one was a, uh, another Hefke uh, report that was published in 2005. Uh, that looked at students uh, that started their doctoral degree in the 1996-1997 academic year, um, and then looked over the intervening years, how many of those completed, uh, how many of those withdrew, how many completed on time, how many were late. Um, and what they found uh, was that younger uh, students with financial backing uh, from overseas studying in the natural sciences uh, tend to be those who are most successful. Uh, the very same year, uh, Park did a, um, a similar exercise but um, at a more local level within one institution. And uh, his findings were very similar. He found that students who are older, who are UK domiciled, are studying on a part-time basis or studying in the humanities and the social sciences are those that are most likely uh, not to complete. So this is, I think this gives us a, a good um, entry point into the current situation in the United Kingdom. I think this gives us some, some information to play with. Uh, but what I think the limitation of these studies is, is they're all, they're all very quantitative. So we, we're not really getting behind those, those factors. So what is it that means that older students are less likely to complete the younger students? Why is it that funded students are more likely to go through than non-funded? I think we'll all have some ideas about that, but it would be very nice to actually look at this and find out, find out what's really going on there. Outside of the UK, we do have a much better idea of those factors that contribute to timely uh, completion and submission and those that contribute to withdrawal. Is that me? So outside of the UK, um, we do have a much uh, better idea of some of those factors that are contributing to um, timely completion, submission or withdrawal. There have been a number of studies. Um, one limitation of the studies really is that they all tend to relate to uh, one individual institution and there are lots of discrepancies in the findings. I mean, we could say that that's because they, uh, they're all using different methodologies to approach this problem or uh, some uh, people have actually theorised now that it's because the, the factors that contribute to this are highly localised. And that, that was borne out in a paper that um, Dave Valero did in 2001, where um, the study looked at the completion submission rates uh, within different departments in the same institution. So although they were all operating under the same quality assurance um, framework, there were very, very different um, data produced from each department. So what's, what's interesting there is that there's no easy answer to this question. There's no, there's no one factor that if we get that right, we can, we can really solve the problem. A lot of this plays out very differently in different departments. It plays out differently for different types of students, for different disciplines. So it's, it's a very nuanced, very complex uh, issue. And I think um, two, um, uh, two researchers whose, whose names I'm not going to attempt to pronounce, um, they, they sum this up quite nicely. They said the factors related to um, times of the doctorate are intertwined and involve a complex interplay of institutional and personal factors. And I think that's, that, that's very much worth bearing in mind. There's no, there's no real easy answer to this question.
So in terms of um, how we go about thinking about this, Juranic has produced a model which I find very helpful. I mean, it's okay to understand that this is very nuanced, it is very complex, but we have to think about this practically and pragmatically, particularly within institutions, in, in how we address this. Um, what Juranic did was he looked at the studies that have been produced um, around the United Kingdom, uh, around uh, uh, Australia, I think it was, um, and he found that, by and large, you could group the findings of the different studies into different categories. And he said that the key, the key features, really, that, that determine whether or not the student is likely to be successful are the student qualities and personal situations. So, is the student motivated? Are they passionate? Are they tenacious? Uh, what's, uh, what programme are they studying? Uh, what else do they have going on in their life? Uh, what previous experience do they have? Um, he also found that um, supervision and the scholarly environment were very important. So this is things like what kind of training do the supervisors have? Is the individual uh, supervised by uh, one uh, supervisor and the supervisor by a team? What's the intellectual climate around the supervision like in the department? Is the student integrated into that? Do they feel that they're treated as a, as a peer or are they an adjunct? Um, and then underneath all of this is the, uh, a key point of the resources and facilities in place to facilitate uh, this research. So bearing that in mind, what I'd just like to do now is go around each side of uh, Juranek's triangle and um, draw out some of the key features that have been identified in the literature. Um, around uh, supervision, we, it's unsurprising really, that some positive uh, factors con uh, around supervision contribute to students getting through their degree on time. And these are things like a supervision team that are involved, that are nurturing, that are supportive, uh, that are there for the student, they make time for the student, the communication channels work. All of those sorts of things can have a very positive impact and those were the students who tended to get through on time, tended to, com uh, to complete their degrees and not have too many issues along the way. On the other side, there was a very interesting um, article written by Gold. And what, um, what, what Gold managed to do was to, um, in one institution in the US, um, was to contact students who had actually left, uh, decided to withdraw from their doctorate before completing. Uh, she interviewed um, 100 or so students um, and then selected the, um, the most interesting ones for the article. And that's really great because it was very revealing, actually, that we had these students who are now outside of the system that had taken the bold step of uh, deregistering from their PhD and doing something different. And what came out of that was that um, it was really the, one of the primary factors that led to students taking the decision to withdraw from their doctorate was the relationship with the supervisor. Where that wasn't functioning properly, students felt that they could no longer continue. And just breaking that down a little bit, she found that things like a personality clash um, a mismatch between the supervisor and the student where the things just didn't click, that made things very difficult. Um, an attitude of indifference on the supervisor as well towards the project, that they didn't make time for the students, they weren't, weren't really bothered, they weren't really infusing the student for it, that made students really question whether or not they were doing the right thing. And similarly, no time for the doctoral researcher, so just not being around, not being there to help, not conducting meetings, um, and that had a very detrimental impact on the student's experience of the doctoral process and ultimately led to them deciding not to continue with it. Um, and it's a little Dilbert cartoon that I, I really liked. I was trying to think of a kind of a pithy way to sum up um, a malfunctioning relationship, and um, Dilbert does it quite nicely, I think. So. <laughs> Um, around student qualities and personal circumstances, this is where the literature starts to get a little bit more... Um, there's not so much consensus here. Various studies have found different things in different settings. Um, so what I'll do, I'll just talk through some of the student characteristics and the registration characteristics. i just look through what some of the findings of the literature have been there. Um, around age, um, a number of studies have found that actually 
the older you get, unfortunately, the less likely you are to complete your doctorate. But what, what I'm really pleased to hear is this, it's not because of um, the ageing process means that your capacity for any kind of complex intellectual <laughs> endeavour diminishes. It's, it's more to do with the things that come along with age, so family responsibilities, jobs, mortgages, childcare, all of these things that make it very difficult to create the space within your own life to pursue, to pursue the doctorate. Um, gender is a, is a fun one. This, there's no real consensus either in the literature around whether gender, gender impacts on um, your time to doctor or whether you're likely to complete or not. Some studies have found that, yes, there are some differences, and others have found that, no, they're not. No, there aren't. Uh, there was a, an interesting article by uh, Van de Schutter who looked at um, some uh, data in the Netherlands, and they discovered through their qualitative interviews um, that... Um, although there weren't really many differences between uh, male and female time to the doctorate, uh, the differences for the delays were different. So uh, men tended to be delayed by changing their family circumstances, for example, having a baby, um, whereas women tended to be uh, delayed by um, getting married. So that was... <laughs> Read into that what you will. <laughs> um, attitudinal factors as well came out in one study. Um, there was... There's a paper published in the US that looked at students who are registered for the Doctor of Education. So obviously these are students that have um, a number of other commitments. They will have a full-time job working in an educational setting. Uh, they're doing a doctorate alongside that. Many of them have a family. Um, and there were some really very revealing, um, very revealing um, characteristics that came out of the interviews with the students. What they found is those students who are more um, tenacious, who are more resilient, who are more passionate about the subject, and who were more experienced as well, were able to overcome the obstacles that they encountered um, along the doctoral journey. Uh, whereas those students who were maybe a little more coy, who didn't really have that, um, didn't have that proactiveness, uh, found it much more difficult to go out and seek help uh, where they needed it. Uh, socioeconomic factors. Um, we, there's not really anything out there that I've found that answers this question. Um, this could be because uh, it's more difficult to get the data on this. So um, I don't think routinely... Um, institutions are recording uh, the socioeconomic background of students that are entering uh, postgraduate degrees, so it's quite hard to, to find a data set uh, in the UK to, to look at that issue. Uh, but it is something that's been identified by um, Waking as an area uh, for further research. Um, registration characteristics as well, these, these play um, some part in determining whether or not the student is likely to complete. Uh, fee and funding status have been identified as, as such factors. Um, and what's, uh, what some of the studies have found there is that um, students who are overseas, uh, who are uh, fully funded, are the ones who are likely to, uh, to get through. Um, I, some, there's, a bit of, um, there's a bit of disagreement in the literature there. Um, some think that it's because that uh, for international students to get places in, uh, in institutions and for uh, students to acquire a scholarship, that they are the brightest and the best. It's incredibly competitive, so therefore they have a much more rigorous process in terms of getting those funds, getting that place, and therefore those are the most likely to succeed. Um, that's actually been challenged by um, some uh, Rodwell and Newman, um, who think that the, the kind of selective admissions process is a bit of a myth, that that doesn't really have much of a a good indication on whether or not the student will be likely to uh, complete in time or not. So I, I think that taking this into account, I think there's some other factors there that uh, contribute to need a little bit of unpicking. I mean, around funding status, um, I, I think that actually having a finite um, deadline is the poverty incentive there is a very powerful motivator for students to actually complete by that point. Because if you, you're going to run out of money within 36 months, then 
you might be encouraged to get the thesis done and complete by that time. So I'm not really sure it's around the, the, the admissions process. I think it might be more about the kind of the, 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 the fear of what happens after that 36 months when you no longer have any money to carry on with this. Research facilities and resources. Uh, these were found to be uh, the least important uh, factors in determining uh, success by one study. Um, they didn't really go into the reasons for that, but what I suspect is that an institution would have to be fairly immoral, to be honest, to be taking on a student where they can't provide the right resources, the right equipment for them to conduct their research. So it's probably the case that as institutions don't do that, by and large, um, then 